Good morning. So great, so grateful to be part of this church, aren't you? We had a wonderful time on the lawn this morning as we worshiped together, just um, and hearing from the hearing from the Lord. And I'm so glad to be with those of you who aren't here right now. And uh, we have a oneness in the Lord that is talked about in a number of places in the Bible. I'm so grateful to be able to share this time with you and praying that God will do something good. You know, early in this last year, when um, kind of the craziness of the world really started to break out more than anything else, I had a little conversation with Pastor Robert, our lead pastor, um, just outside of McClintock's, which is right next to where I'm speaking here. And as we were walking along, he made a comment to me that I've referred to perhaps a dozen or maybe even two dozen times since. He said, you know, everyone is having a conversation here. They're all talking about the same things on social media and their conversations with each other. They're talking about the same types of things, but God's conversation is somewhere else. That conversation is on a different plane. People are talking down here. God has a different conversation. And you know what? That has helped me, and I've talked about that a lot, and the things that I've been, the conversations I've been having and the things I've been writing about, it's been an attempt to have a second conversation to point people toward what the Lord has. Thankfully, our church, the leaders of our church, they were wise enough at that time to say, okay, let's just pull back from what we're doing currently and let's focus on some of the things that people need to be grounded in during this time of, of crisis. So we had been preaching through the book of John and um, I don't know how many messages we had, maybe six or eight messages, but focused on John chapter one, two, and three. Put the pause button on and said, okay, let's talk about things that are grounding issues for us, like who is God? And what are the things that are true in scripture that we're rooted in? And um, we had a series on prayer as well. These are all things that were important for us to move us forward. But now we're going back into the book of John, which is great because that gets us into the conversation anyway that we really need to be having more than anything else. So today, it's my task. I've been tasked actually to bring us back into the book of John. So we had six or eight, I don't know how many messages on, um, on John 1 through 3 before. And today, we're going to have one on John 1, 2, and 3. These are long chapters, and we're going to be moving around within these chapters, 1, 2, and 3, to help bring us up to date on where we are in the book of John. And I'm praying that God is going to do something with us also in this time. So John 1 through 3 focuses on two big questions, or at least I want to focus on two big questions from the book of John, John chapter 1 through 3 today. The first is, who is Jesus? according to the first three chapters of the book of John. And the second is, how do people respond to Jesus in John 1 through 3? So, who is Jesus, according to the first three chapters of John? According to the first three chapters of John, Jesus is God himself, who became flesh and dwelt among us, so that we might know who God is and come to believe in Jesus. The first three chapters of John tell us that Jesus is God himself who became flesh and dwelt among us so that we might know who God is and come to believe in Jesus. So let's look at each part of this statement together. The first part of the statement is that Jesus is God himself. Let's start with this assertion that Jesus is God. Is this supported in the first three chapters of John? Absolutely. In fact, he leads with this. John 1.1 says... In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know that the Word here is a reference to Jesus. We will see that as we move into John. The Word was God. Jesus was God. And John 1.18 reads, No one has ever seen God. The only God, which is a reference to Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, Jesus is not a God, like one of the many gods of the ancient pantheons of Greek, Roman, Persian, Egyptian, paganism, whatever else. Jesus is God, the God, the creator of the universe. And does John 1 through 3 talk about this? In fact, it does. John 1 3 says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, Jesus is the creator of everything. You know, very God, a very God. And John 1.10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. The world was made through him. He is the creator of everything. Now, looking at this in a different, a different way, at the end of a, a major miracle, I'll come back to this in just a minute, in um, John chapter 2, it says these things, this is John 2, 11, Jesus has just turned water into wine. The author of the gospel writes, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. Now you may not see it here, but it's very stark when you're reading this in the biblical languages. So in the Old Testament, when you talk about the glory of God, it is kavod, that's the, the Hebrew word that's there. When the Hebrew word got translated into Greek before the time of Jesus, the word that was used was the word doxa. That is something that is the property of God here is being used to talk about Jesus. It showed his glory. So you can see that it's already, we're only three chapters in here, and it's already got this exalted picture of Jesus who is God himself. And so the first part of our statement is that Jesus is God himself. Is this supported in the, in the beginning of John? Absolutely. Yes, from the very beginning, it's emphasized. Okay, what about the second part of the statement? Here's the whole statement again. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God himself who became flesh and dwelt among us so that we might know who God is and come to believe in Jesus. The second part of the statement is that he became flesh and dwelt among us. The clearest verse that says this in the whole Bible is right in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is God himself who became flesh and dwelt among us. That is, he became fully man without ever ceasing to be fully God. He pitched his tent among us. We actually have one of our adult Bible classes here who historically has gone camping every year together. And they go out and they take over some big camp, campsite and um, they pitch their tents all over the place. What would it be like if you saw Jesus walking into your camp, putting a, a tent, pitching his tent right in the middle of the campground and hanging out with you? Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, actually, that's the implication of this verse. And I'm not just making up the metaphor here. You can't see it in English, but the word dwelt among us has nuances of pitching a tent, like the tabernacle of God among the people of Israel in the Old Testament. So he came and pitched his tent, and he hung out with us. He dwelt with us. He was with us on the earth. So this is amazing. Jesus, God himself, 
became human. He pitched his tent among us. How do we know, though, that who Jesus claims to be in the book of John, and we're going to see these claims over and over again in the book of John, how do we know that he is who he says that he is? How do we know that Jesus is, in fact, God himself, who became flesh and dwelt among us so that we might know who God is and come to believe in Jesus? Well, according to the first three chapters of John, we know this because of three basic lines of evidence. The first line of evidence is that one of the greatest prophets of all time, John the baptizer, he was sent to uh, proclaim that Jesus is Messiah, that Jesus is who he is claiming to be. So that's the first thing right there. And we see John the baptizer's ministry or John the Baptist's ministry in John 1 and John chapter 3. And I'll quote from him in just a few minutes some of the things that he said. So that's the first line of evidence. The second line of evidence is that at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and there was an, a testifying to Jesus being who he is there at the baptism. And then the third line of evidence are the miracles that Jesus did. So the miracles that Jesus did attested to the truth that Jesus is who he said that he was. So a person from God, but claiming to be more than just a prophet of God, claiming to be God himself. And um, there are three main miracles that are mentioned in in the first three chapters of John. One of them's small, one of them's big, and one of them is a reference to one that is the most gigantic of all. So the first one that is small is um, that when Jesus meets Nathaniel, who had been introduced to uh, Jesus by Philip, then uh, Jesus looks at Nathaniel and says, you know, before I came here, when I was somewhere else, I saw you under a fig tree. And Nathaniel's like, what? You're right, I was sitting under a fig tree and you saw me. And that was a a small miracle that just helped to open up Nathaniel's own eyes at that point. Then there was one big one, that is Jesus is at a a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee and they run out of wine. And you just don't want to run out of wine at a Middle Eastern um, wedding there. And Jesus steps in at the behest of his mother, Mary, and he turns the water into wine, and they have wonderful wine to finish up the, the, the feast. So that's a big one. And it actually says there that this is one of the big signs. So there are big signs in the book, I think like seven major miracles, and this is the first of those. It's the only one of the seven that we've seen so far in our, in our um, series. Then there's the gigantic one. Jesus says, destroy this temple, And he's not referring to the temple building. He's referring to his body. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. So the biggest of all testifying uh, miracles of Jesus is his death and his resurrection from the grave. It shows that he is who he says that he is. So those are... Those are the main ways in the first three chapters of the book of John that we actually know that when Jesus says that he is who he is, that it is in fact the case. Taken together, these support the contention that Jesus is God himself who became flesh and dwelt among us so that we might know who God is and come to believe in Jesus. But does anybody actually believe this today? Do people believe that Jesus is God himself who became flesh and dwelt among us so that we might know who God is and come to believe in Jesus? Well, probably most of you listening today, you believe this. This is what Christians believe. All 
Christians who are in fact Christians believe this. But you know what? Most people in the world don't believe this. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is not God, but is merely God's first created being. And this, he's just repeat, they're just repeating the line of a false teacher named Arius from the fourth century. Arius is back with us again today. Muslims, they believe that Jesus is one of the great prophets like Adam or Noah or Abraham or Moses, uh, or they would say Muhammad also, and less than Muhammad. They would deny vigorously that Jesus is God. I've talked with many Muslims who have, who have denied the deity of Jesus when I've talked with them. Mormons believe that Jesus became a God, and similarly, if you do the right things, you can become a God too. Obviously, they don't mean the same thing by God as we do. Unitarians, as their name implies, claims that God is a unity, not a trinity, and anyway, think that he is impersonal, maybe a bit like a Star Warsian force. For Unitarians, Jesus is no more or less divine than any other man. Religious Jews, they reject the idea that Jesus was the Messiah, and if not the Messiah, certainly not God himself. Hindus, they believe that Jesus is one of many incarnations of God. That is, that according to Hindus, he is like a, uh, one of the many sons of God, and they mean something different by that as well. So he is no more divine than any other man. Buddhist, they believe that Jesus is a good teacher. You know, kind of like the Buddha, but a little bit less than the Buddha. Most, most Buddhists, anyway, deny the existence of a personal God. And then followers of Christian science also don't believe that Jesus was God. Science and Health, their manual states starkly, Jesus Christ is not God, page 361. Followers of Christian science make Christ an outstanding man, a great teacher, but they deny his deity. By the way, note in this that, um, you know, Christian science is a misnomer. They clearly are not Christian, and uh, nor are they scientists, so let's just keep that one clear too. So what separates Christians from everyone else more than any other doctrine, more than any other teaching is that we actually believe that God became human and dwelt among us, that, God, that Jesus is himself God. So do you believe that Jesus is God? If you don't, you're actually not a Christian um, because all people, all Christians at all times have believed that Jesus is God. Sometimes people want to use the term for themselves and deny this, but in fact, this is fundamental in our faith. Okay, so first, so we've been focusing on the first part of this statement, but the last part brings us into the other question that we wanted to ask today. The first question is, who is God? And the second question is, how do people respond to Jesus in the first three chapters of the Gospel of John? And we're going to actually work our way through this. How do people respond to Jesus in the first three chapters of John? Actually, before we do that, maybe we should actually answer the question, how should people respond to Jesus in the first three chapters of John? And the simplest answer is that we believe in Jesus and all that that means, all that that entails. So we don't just believe sort of mentally, but we actually believe much further on than that. I'll talk to you about that in just a moment. But let's look at some verses on this. John 1.12 is the first. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And John 3.16, one of the best known verses in the whole Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but have eternal life. This is the way you're supposed to respond to Jesus. You respond in faith. You respond in belief. And we're not just talking, by the way, in the book of John about initial faith, initially coming into faith in him. There is both initial believing and continuing believing in Jesus in the book of John. So um, we're talking about both of those. Keep that in mind as we talk about this. So what are the responses to Jesus in the book of John? Actually, there's a spectrum of responses you know, all the way from a full rejection of Jesus all the way to full embrace of Jesus. So let me just walk through the spectrum of responses in John chapter one through three. The first of these, and I'm gonna go from, um, from the most negative responses to the most positive responses. In the first three chapters of John, some people just reject his invitation. So Jesus is who he is, Jesus is claiming to be who he is. John the Baptist is testifying to him. The Holy Spirit and a dove attested to him. His miracles attest to him. And some people simply reject it. John 1.11 says, he came to his own. Um, and in the original language, that means like the things that he created, all of the world that he created, and his own, that is the people who, who he belonged to, uh, did not receive him. John 1, 11 says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. It's kind of like returning home after being away from home for a long time and your family claiming that you don't belong to them. So this is where you belong, but they're not accepting you. Another verse that says something very similar is John three nineteen: The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. I mean, just imagine with me, somebody who voluntarily decides to live their life at night in the dark rather than in the daytime. I'm not, I'm not talking about people who have to work at night. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about people who, who uh, choose to live most of their life at night because it helps to hide the deeds that they do. It helps to conceal what they're doing. They don't want to come out into the light. If you invite them into the light, they don't want to be in the light because actually the light exposes of what they were doing. So this is, uh, this is the case. There are many people in the world who do not receive Jesus despite what Jesus has actually said about himself and what the Gospel of John has presented to us about who Jesus is. And they would rather be in the darkness rather than the light. I hope that you're not one of those. If you are, maybe this message will help to open you up a little bit more to the person of Jesus. Are there any other negative responses to Jesus in the first three chapters? Um, yes, in fact, you get a negative response from the religious Jewish leaders who are in the temple in John chapter 2. They were really religious people, but they not only refused to believe in him, they spoke out against him, attempted to shame him by publicly challenging him, and continued their antagonism toward him throughout the entire book. They were religious people who had this little tiny box of what religiosity was supposed to look like. And guess what? Jesus did not fit into that box. And so they rejected him. They were very moral, very ethical, uh, following the rules, and yet Jesus didn't fit into that box. And so they, they had antagonism toward him. And there are some probably listening to me today who are really religious and good people but their lives are not committed to Jesus, haven't yet entrusted yourself fully to him by faith and walking in that truth. I'm actually thinking of someone who's very religious, 
but really not walking the walk of discipleship, which is where we're moving as we continue through this spectrum. What about others? Let's keep moving through that spectrum. Well, we actually come to sort of the middle of our graph right here. There is one person who, at least in this point in the book of John, he's kind of right in the middle. That's the the character Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a religious leader who searches out Jesus and wants to talk to him. And Jesus looks to him and says, you know what, Nicodemus? You need to be born again. But at least you can infer from this point in the book, he's asking questions like, well, how can a person who's old be born again? Or even just more, slightly more skeptical, well, just how can these things be? Now, he's not hostile to Jesus, but he's also not embracing Jesus. I think if you keep going through the book of John, you'll actually see him moving more toward becoming first a secret follower of Jesus, and um, then later on, just a public follower of Jesus after his death because he's involved in the burial of Jesus. So he's kind of there right in the middle. You know, I had a friend when I was living overseas, his name was Mustafa, and um, he actually believed, he came to a point where he came to believe all the things that we believe, everything about Jesus, except for one thing, and that was he still thought that Muhammad was a true prophet. For a whole year, he believed everything that Christians believe. And yet he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't willing to see that if Muhammad says what he says and Jesus says what he says, they can't possibly agree with one another. And that eventually fell off. He was baptized, I was there, and he's been a faithful follower of Jesus since and is a deacon in his church right now. Um, so, are you by any chance, kind of like my friend Mustafa, kind of in this in-between stage, or like Nicodemus, before he moved forward? Now, in Nicodemus's case and in Mustafa's case, they both moved toward faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe that's actually where the Lord is trying to move you today. If you are there, please call up our church office. Somebody would love to talk to you, would love to just introduce you to how you can have a full-fledged relationship with Jesus Christ and all that that entails. But what, what about, are there any positive responses to Jesus in the first three chapters of John? Yes, even early in Jesus' ministry, there are some people who are believing. They're beginning to believe in him. And some of this seems initial belief, just accepting that he's the Messiah. Some people more than that, and I'll get to that in just a minute. After Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding in Cana, John 2.11 says, This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And then after Jesus cleared the temple in Jerusalem and did other miracles, John 2.23 says, Now when, they, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name even when they, when they saw the signs that he was doing. Many believed in his name. Even his mother Mary, it's, it's implied that she is, you know, moving toward faith in him at some level. You can't tell exactly what it is, but she actually seeks him out um, at the wedding to say, look, we're out of wine. Is there anything you can do to help us? And so you can actually see some initial faith starting up even there. But, you know, believing does not only mean to mentally accept that Jesus is who he says he is, that his testimony about himself is true. Ultimately, it is entrusting yourself to him. That's where the book of John is trying to take you. It is written so that you might believe that Jesus is in the Christ and that, that by believing you might have life in his name. That's this, the purpose statement at the end of the book, not in the first three 
three chapters. So to, to try to wrap your mind around this, let me tell you a story I used to tell my Muslim friends when they would say to me, what do you mean? You don't have to do anything as a Christian? No, I didn't say that, but that's what they heard me say a lot of times. Um, you just have to believe in Jesus? You know, what, what do you mean by that? And I would tell them this story, and maybe this will help you to understand how belief is more than just mental assent to the gospel. So um, imagine a Middle Eastern villager and he's at that time of year where watermelons are just uh, coming to fruition, and he thinks, I can make some money if I can bring back a bunch of watermelons to my village and sell them for a profit, I'll make some money. So he takes his horse-drawn cart, and he goes to the closest town that has a whole bunch of watermelons, and he piles his cart up with watermelons all the way to the top, pays the person, heads off, back to go back to his, his village. And as he's heading back, he remembers, oh yeah, I've got to cross that brook. And there's that little bridge there. So he heads toward, toward it and he looks at his cart when he gets to the brook and he looks at the bridge and he says, yeah, I think this bridge is strong enough to hold this heavy watermelon cart. But he doesn't cross immediately. He looks at the cart again and he looks, looks at the bridge. And, yeah, I believe that this, well, this cart will hold, this, sorry, this bridge will hold my watermelon cart. But then he pauses one more time and he looks at it looks at the cart, he looks at the bridge, he looks back at the cart, he looks at the bridge, and then he, he declares, yes, I believe that this bridge will hold my watermelon cart. But he doesn't cross the bridge. He goes a mile upriver, crosses the bridge, a stronger, bigger bridge there, and he goes to his village. Did he believe that that bridge would hold his, hold his cart? No, biblically, he did not believe. I mean, there was certain certain type of belief that could be there. That's even acknowledged in the book of John, you know, certain type of initial faith. But he did not believe in the sense that he did not cross the bridge. Believing is entrusting yourself, giving yourself over entirely to Jesus Christ. And in the first three chapters of John, some people actually did go beyond just a mental ascent to faith. They decided to start following him around and to become his disciples, full-fledged disciples of Jesus. For example, there are two disciples, Andrew and some unnamed disciple, who followed Jesus and stayed with him after hearing John the baptizer speak about Jesus. John 1, 37 to 39 reads, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they, they, um, they actually were called by Jesus. They started following him around and um, they started hanging out with him to learn from him. This is because believing with Jesus with your head is not enough. You actually make him your rabbi, your teacher, your uh, leader, your Lord. That's what Jesus becomes to you. This means that you wake up in the day and you say, Lord, not only do I just generally believe in you, but Lord, what is it that you have for me in this day? You are a disciple of Jesus. This day is given to you to live for Jesus. So the consequent question is, are you someone who is following Jesus around wherever he might take you? But you know, in the first three chapters of, of John, there are some people that take it even another step further. They not only believe in Jesus, they not only follow Jesus around as his disciples and learn from him, they also begin to testify to Jesus. 
And um, there's one that's very public about this kind of official testifying. And there's, and there's a couple that are just doing this just as friends to someone else. The official one is John the baptizer. And he's just, in the, in the book of John, he is a witness to Jesus more than anything else. Chapter 1, 6 through 8, tells us about John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, implied Jesus was the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And at 129, John the Baptist publicly says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We don't use the word behold much, but he's saying, look at Jesus. Chapter 134, he says, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And in chapter 3, 35 to 36, he says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So he testifies that the right response to Jesus is faith in him. But you know, John the baptizer, he does this in this very official role as a prophet of God testifying to Jesus. But there are others who actually attest to who Jesus is just by being a friend to somebody else and saying, look who I found. I think I found the Messiah. So back in the Jesus movement, back in the 1970s, there was like this Christian rock group. They were actually just a rock group who started singing the Jesus songs and eventually they became Christians. And, um, and they sang a song that represents this really well. It just says, accept him with your whole heart. And they have ooh, ooh, ooh. And then, and then use your own two hands. With one, reach out to Jesus. And with the other, bring a friend. And I love that. With one hand, reach out to Jesus. And with the other, bring along a friend. And that's what Andrew does. He comes to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and he introduces his brother, Simon Peter, like the great Simon Peter. Andrew just brings him along and says, I think I found the Messiah. Why don't you meet him? John 1, 40 to 42 says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Philip does the same thing to Nathaniel, like Nathaniel of the fig tree fame. John 1.45 reads, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Andrew and Philip are just regular people who decide to introduce, in one case, a brother, in one case, a friend to Jesus. I have a friend who lives up in Oregon and he's just spent his life just introducing people to Jesus. When he meets someone, he gets to know them. He just says, hey, come along. I, I want to introduce you to the person who has changed my life more than anything else. And I love this. This is the right response to Jesus. You fully embrace Jesus by faith. You believe in him. You follow him around. You become his disciple. And with your other hand, you bring along a friend. So let me go back to the statement that I started this message with and add a little bit as a summary of what I've talked to you about today. Who is Jesus and how do people respond to Jesus in the first three chapters of John? Here's what we learned. Jesus is God himself who became flesh and dwelt among us so that we might know who God is and come to believe in Jesus. 
In the first three chapters of John, some people reject Jesus. Some, because of a real religiosity, they're even hostile toward him. One is on the fence. But some people come to believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, start to follow him around and introduce others to Jesus. And this is only the first three chapters of the book of John. We're going to have 18 more glorious, deep, uh, heart-moving, wise, God-honoring chapters that are going to help us grow in our lives with Jesus Christ. Next week, Robert's going to just kick us off with um, the woman at the well. What a great passage. Can't wait to hear that. So as I finish this up, the big question for you is where are you on the spectrum? Are you one of those who has rejected Jesus just for years and years? Maybe someone who's within your religiosity and you don't even know you're rejecting Jesus, but you are because you won't let him fit into your box. Maybe you're on the fence. If you're on the fence today, please, I'm going to be praying for you after this. Please contact our office. Let somebody talk you through what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And for those of you who believe in Jesus, let's be disciples of Jesus, learning from him, following him around, letting him guide us. Let's do that, reaching out one hand to Jesus and finally bring along someone else with you. Let's close this up with a word of prayer while the musicians come up. Yes, Lord, please do this in us. Help us, Lord, to embrace what these first three chapters of John teach about who Jesus is and what it means to be a follower, a believer of Jesus and all that that entails. God, work in our lives, work in our hearts, move us, conform us to what you have for us. And Lord, as we go as a church into this series, this John series, I pray, Father, that you will inflame us with the things of you, that we will love Jesus more than anything else, that we will follow him faithfully. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.